Good morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here today. I have missed you. I've been gone the last couple of Sundays and uh, was on study break, took a few uh, days vacation, and I've been working on the fourth quarter messages for the end of the year and excited about what's coming. I, I was working on Christmas this last week. Yeah, you know how I feel about Christmas. I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. But it's going to snow any day now. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm uh, really glad that uh, we've got such a great teaching team. If by chance you missed the last couple of Sundays, Pastor Brian spoke and then Pastor Matt last week, I would encourage you to go online. Or uh, if you get really bored with my message today, just pull up that, Facebook, that East Point uh, uh, app on your phone and you can watch one of their messages. But I encourage you to go on and watch uh, those guys from the last couple of weeks. They dealt with some issues that are important to us and who we are and where we're going. Today we're starting a new summer series. And uh, I'm excited about it. So not so cool cats of the Bible. And, I, you know, we can talk about a lot of people in the scriptures, lots of, of people we can choose from. Uh, I felt when I was working on this series months ago that we get to look at some of the people who you wouldn't necessarily call heroes of the faith, or maybe they're people who started bad and they ended well. Maybe they started bad and ended bad. But there are lessons we can learn from them nonetheless. And today we're going to take a look at a guy named Cain and uh, some lessons we can learn from him. One of the things that I am very aware of is that uh, we can learn things the hard way or not. How many of you have learned most of your lessons the hard way? I'll raise both hands. It tends to be human nature. When we um, go through something, we go through it the hard way, and we learn the hard way. But here's a little insight for you. Ready? We don't have to learn everything the hard way. We can, in fact, learn from the lessons of others, from other people's lives. And we can be instructed. The scriptures are there to instruct us and at times to warn us. And so today, I want to encourage you through this series and especially today, listen. Listen, because if you listen to what we are, we're going to walk through together, then you may and probably will avoid some heart, some heartache. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, regarding the stories written in the Old Testament, Paul wrote this, These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning to us. Paul said the Old Testament, some of what took place there was written to, to instruct us. It was written as an example of what to do or not to do, and in many cases, as a warning to you and I. And like I said, today we'll take a look at Cain. Next Sunday, we'll take a look at Rahab, who uh, was actually a prostitute. Didn't start so well, but actually finished very, 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 very well. A guy named Samson, haven't taught on him at East Point ever, I don't think. Look at a couple of ladies in the New Testament, and then we'll wrap the series up taking a look at a guy named Judas. You may have heard of him. And uh, I haven't run into a whole lot of Judases in my life, and there's a reason for that. But we're going to take a look at uh, Judas and some lessons we can learn from his life as well and finish the series up that way. I'm excited about it. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, open up the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we'll get to Genesis chapter 4 in just a moment. I'm going to read a little bit longer portion because it gives you the full flavor of the story. I'll try to read it with some dramatic flair to keep you engaged. But it's a great story, but it's a tragic story. But there's some lessons that you and I can learn here that I want us to walk away with today. Genesis chapter 4, pick it up, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now let me just pause here and say, this is not, uh, there's no big deal here about one of them being a rancher and one of them being a farmer. Nothing implied by that at all. It just states that they had <coughs> different roles, different functions. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. And here's what happened. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. 
But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. We'll talk uh, in just a moment about why his offering was rejected and what's going on here. Well, let's uh, continue on. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That is a powerful verse. And a warning from God to Cain. Cain, be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants to eat you up, gobble you up, devour you. Make good choices. Don't let it rule over you. Verse 8. Cain did not respond so well. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He murdered his brother. Premeditated murder. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Now God's not confused. He's not like, oh, what happened to Abe? He knew, but he's trying to draw out of Cain a confession here. And Cain lied. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground. Note here, he was the farmer. So where he had experienced some favor and blessing and, and produce and some good things have happened, now said you're going to experience a curse. In fact, it's not going to happen anymore. <clears throat> curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be restless wander on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you've driven me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. The Hebrew word there almost could be translated homeless. Restless wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. They're going to have to deal with me. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And so Cain went out from the Lord's presence. What a sad, sad statement. Went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Tragic story. And lots of firsts in this story as well. Cain was the first son, the very first son ever born on planet Earth. Remember, Adam and Eve were created out of the dust. And so this is the first son. This is the first sacrifice, uh, recorded sacrifice, ever offered to the Lord. Perhaps the first act of worship right here in this passage in Genesis 4. Uh, Unfortunately, tragically, it's the first conflict ever between brothers. And I wish I could say it was the last conflict, but I happen to know, having two brothers, that it didn't stop with Cain and Abel. Uh, conflict has been uh, part of our, our relationships and natures for thousands of years. And of course, this is the very first act of violence and the very first murder uh, in the Bible. Tragic story. Might be kind of depressing, but there's some things we can learn from this. And I want to focus on why Cain did what he did and some lessons we can learn from him. Here's the first one, number one, if you're taking notes. What matters most to God is not the gift we bring, but the condition of our hearts. What matters most to God is not the gift we bring or anything else. What always matters most to him is the condition of our hearts. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought forth fruits as an offering. Abel brought forth fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. It says that the Lord looked on favor on Cain's offering, on Abel's offering, excuse me, but not on, on Cain. And it, and it says here that, that they both brought an offering to the Lord. And what I want you to notice here is that they both brought something, but something was wrong here. Something's going on that is not as, as apparent to us on the surface as we might think it should be. They both brought offerings to God. We think, what's the big deal? 
Well, there's something going on, and I want to suggest to you that there's something going on in their heart. It wasn't the nature of the gift. It wasn't the gift itself. It wasn't as if God said, I'm not going to accept that because it's, I don't like fruit. I don't like produce. Now, I can understand if God said that because I don't really like vegetables either. I'm not a big broccoli, Brussels sprout fan. I'm not that kind of guy. But it's not, I don't think that's going on here at all. They both brought sacrifices. They both brought offerings to the Lord. And by the way, <clears throat> there's a lot of, some debate over the nature of this sacrifice. Was it an atonement? Uh, meaning, was it a sin offering for penance uh, to somehow make things right between them and God? That's possible. I tend to lean with the Bible scholars who think this was really an offering of gratitude brought to God. The word here used for offering in Hebrew, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't mean to try to impress you with that. But the word's very similar to a word found in Leviticus chapter 2, which talks about grain offerings. Offerings of fruit, produce, was accepted by God in Leviticus chapter 2. And they were offerings brought as a, as a grateful offering, as an offering of gratitude to the Lord. And so I think what's going on here is that Cain brought what was reasonable for him to bring. He was a farmer. Abel brought what was reasonable for him to bring. He was a rancher. But obviously there's something else going on here. And most Bible scholars tend to agree, whether you think it was an offering of atonement or an offering of gratitude, that what was going on here was an issue of the heart, that Cain had a heart problem, that what he gave wasn't just the gift, it was the way, what was going on inside of him, how he gave. Cain gave with the wrong heart, and his sacrifice had no heart in it, and therefore it was rejected by the Lord. It was not a gift of joy. It was not a gift of gratitude. It was not a gift of love. Cain was going through the motions. He was going through doing a, even a religious thing, but it was only skin deep and not a true reflection of his heart toward God. Cain brought an offering to the Lord, just like Abel did. But there's something going on here in Cain's heart that was wrong. And here's a simple but powerful truth. And this is not in your outline, but you want, might want to write this down. God always wants our hearts, not just our offerings. God always wants our hearts. It always is about what's happening right here. In fact, no one can ever please God by just bringing the right sacrifice if, if it's not offered with the right heart. And there's so many examples of this in the Scriptures. From the very beginning, all throughout the Word of God, we see the heart being what really matters most to God. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We won't go there, but I'll paraphrase and tell you that the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul, is going to battle, and they were going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord prior to going to warfare. Samuel is the prophet. He tells King Saul, I'll be there. I'll take care of it. I will offer the sacrifice. They offer it to the Lord. Wait for me. I'll be there in seven days. It's the seventh day. Samuel's not there. Saul is worried. People are beginning to bolt. They're leaving. They're, they're, they're freaking out. And so Samuel, excuse me, Saul decides to take it upon himself to offer the sacrifice to the Lord. He didn't wait for Samuel. He did not obey. And when Samuel shows up later, just hours later, <clears throat> he's not happy. And in fact, he says to Saul, your heart's not right. And in fact, the Lord is going to look for a man after his own heart. And we happen to know that's going to become David. But Samuel uh, said, you've missed it. You've blown it. Your heart was not right. Out of fear and in fact in disobedience, you took this upon yourself. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, 27, the Lord detests. That's a really strong word. The Lord detests the sacrifices of the wicked. Especially, listen, especially when brought with devious motives. What's, what are those devious motives? A wrong heart. God says, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. In fact, I detest it. Jesus told the Pharisees, if you're familiar with the New Testament, 
uh, you may have read about these group, this, guy, this group of guys called Pharisees. And they were the most religious guys in, on the planet. They brought sacrifices all the time. They did all the right things, but they practiced them with the wrong heart. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 8, these people, the Pharisees, these guys, honor me with their lips, but here it is, their hearts are far from me. Jesus got in the face of these guys and said, they're doing all the right things. They're offering the right sacrifices, but they're not doing it with the right heart. In the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and even if you've been unchurched, you've probably been to a wedding and heard pastors use this passage on a fairly regular basis. But even there, uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 13 says, if I give away everything I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love I receive no benefit whatsoever. It profits me nothing. Paul says, I can do all these great things for God, for people, but if I don't have the right heart, then it's of no value. And the Apostle Paul wrote specifically regarding offerings and, and gifts and, and giving to the, the, the church and to God. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. From the very beginning until now, what's in our hearts is what matters most to God. It always has. About a year and a half ago or so, <clears throat> I had a guy come up to me after service. We were in our old auditorium, and he, uh, I I'd cast, was, I'd began casting vision for moving into this auditorium, for raising the money to build out this space, which was the dollar store I vacated, and, and I had told the church at that time, the, the leaders, the pastors, we've been praying about this. We've been fasting about this. We've been seeking God's will on this, and we really believe this is what we're supposed to do. I admitted it was a big step of faith. Admitted it was going to be challenging. Admitted it didn't make a lot of human sense in the shadow of the Great Recession to try to raise money to expand. I, I, I told the church at that time, I said, I know. But I said, but this is what God's called us to do, and we're going to pursue it. We're going to go for it. Well, this guy came up to me after the service, and um, he had some questions. It started that way. And then it turned into a, about 100 reasons why he thought it was stupid for us to pursue this and to go that direction. And I listened. And guys, I, you need to know, I am not arrogant and proud. I, am, I, am, I make mistakes. But generally speaking, I am not the guy that just thinks I know it all. And I listened. And I, and I tried my best to, to hear what this guy was trying to say. But towards the tail end of what became our conversation, I guess, he said to me, he says, well, if you think it, he could tell that he wasn't getting anywhere with me because I was convinced this was God. By the way, look around. It's been God. He took care of us. He got us here. And I was convinced then, and I'm convinced now. And, I, and, I, and he could tell he wasn't getting too far in unconvincing me that it was the Lord. And, he, and he, then he, so he started to get mad, and he pointed his finger at me and started spitting all over my face. You know, people get said, if you think I'm going to give one dime to this project, then you got a, you're dreaming. you got another thing coming. And I took a deep breath, and I said, brother, if you can't give from your heart, if you can't give out of love, if you can't give in faith, if you can't give that way, then God doesn't want your money. And by the way, neither do I. Probably could have handled that a little bit better because uh, that was the last time I saw him. And, and that breaks my heart. But the truth of the matter is it was a heart issue for him. You see, all the stuff about the 100 reasons why we shouldn't do it didn't deal with the real thing that was going on at his heart level, and I believe this, and, and, and what was going on in others at that time, is that we have to put our heart, our hope, our faith, our trust in him. And when we give, we give because we love him, because we believe in him, because we trust in him. And what's going on here is that 
Cain gave, but he didn't give with the right heart. He didn't give. Now, let me be clear about this. God does want our offerings. God does want us to sacrifice our very best for him. And he does want us to give. But if we don't do so from our hearts, we don't do it from here, then it's of no value to the kingdom, no value to God, and no value to, to others in the long run. Gratitude that is not truly expressed, expressed when a gift is given uh, is, is a gift that, that God says, boy, I don't, that, that doesn't mean anything. It's not a true sacrifice. It's not a, a gift given from our hearts. And it's always been about our hearts with him. And by the way, if that phrase ticks you off, or if you're sitting there thinking, man, he's talking about money again. I can't believe he keeps going. Well, let me just say this real quickly. I beg you. In fact, I plead with you. Where's your heart? I'm asking this question. Where's your heart? Cain's gift was rejected because his heart was wrong. And I'm not saying we always do everything right around here. That's certainly not my implication or my, my, my position at all. But I, I, you can know really securely. You can leave here today knowing this with confidence. We're with all our hearts trying to follow Jesus. Is that you? Is your heart his? A gift given to God without the heart is, is, is not going to be accepted by him. Here's the second lesson, number two. We can't allow our emotions to control our behavior. And boy, is this a good example of a bad thing. We can't allow our emotions to control our behavior. Now, we all have emotions. How many of you are human? Yeah, good. You have emotions. You were created to be an emotional being. And some of you are more emotional than others. Some of you cry more than others. Some of you, you laugh more than others. Some of you, you know, are more emotional than others. But we all have emotions. We all have feelings. But here's a little insight. Ready? Here it is. This is going to really blow your socks off. As adults, we're supposed to learn how to manage our emotions in a mature and healthy way. Now you're like, wow, really? Yeah, that's the idea. We, were, we had spent one day with my kids, went to, to the seaside, to the beach, my kids and my grandkids. And it was freezing cold, Oregon coast, what can I tell you? And the wind's howling and blowing, and I'm wrapped up in a sheet with flowers on it. It was really pretty. And... Um, I'm sitting on the beach, and, and uh, we're kind of watching my grandkids play in the sand and throw sand, and, you know, it was fun. But about 30 yards away from us was a, another family, mom and dad, and a kid. I'm going to say he was four, maybe five years of age. And this kid was out of control. Uh, not just once, but about a half dozen times in the two or three hours we were sitting there, this kid just had a meltdown. And screamed, yelled, called his mom names you wouldn't want to be called, said things that were just horrible. And what really concerned me was they just, the way they dealt with it was they just tried to ignore it as if it wasn't happening. Well, everybody within 50 yards of this kid knew it was happening and not enjoying their time on the beach because of what was going on. But they tried to ignore it. And finally, after 5, 10, 15 minutes of this kid, and I mean, think the worst meltdown you've ever seen, that's this kid screaming. I'm not exaggerating, screaming at the top of his voice, yelling, kicking sand at his dad. I mean, he's having a bad day. And about, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes into it, they'd finally break down and give him whatever he wanted. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. Negative reinforcement training. Let's keep doing that. No wonder the kid does it. Well, um, I, I was pretty perturbed by it, as you can imagine. But, you know, here's the thing. Kids are kids. Sometimes they act foolishly. Sometimes they have emotional meltdowns. And sometimes it's our fault we haven't fed them or given them enough sleep or, or enough sugar or whatever. You know, we, sometimes it's our fault they're that way. And so I get that kids are kids. And by the way, if you're out in the lobby today with your kid and they have a meltdown, 
do not worry. I'm not going to think bad of you. It's okay. I understand kids are kids. But here's a little thing, I, and not to slip into a parenting seminar here, but as parents, guys, it's our responsibility to train our kids and to teach them how to deal, here's a key word, ready, appropriately with emotions. One of the reasons why God starts us off as little people and puts us in a family is so that we can learn and be trained and molded and shaped and in a good way carved and disciplined in a good way for our benefit so that we can learn before we become teenagers or adults how to control the emotions. You've all, I bet, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I bet you've worked for somebody who didn't learn how to do that. And those, those people are scary. I've had a couple of bosses in my you know, years that were just... You had no idea what they were going to do, and, and they were terrifying. They had not learned to control their emotions. And Ephesians 6, 4 makes it very clear. Our job is to train and to, our children in the, nurture, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to bring them up. Well, <clears throat> if we don't do that, then it's highly likely that they're going to grow up with um, a pattern of, of, ex, of explosive, exploding and being uncontrolled by their, uh, in their emotions, in fact, controlled by them. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, and apparently that was Cain's problem. He did not learn to manage his emotions. He got angry, and that anger and bitterness led to a horrible act of murder. And God says, Cain, this is a problem. You don't go there. In fact, sin is ready to, it's crouching the door, wanting to devour you. And he made the statement, but you, you must rule over it. You must exercise control. For the record, uh, getting angry uh, was not Cain's sin. I don't, I don't think that's the problem. Allowing it to consume him and control him was. And that uncontrolled emotion led to his downfall. Paul wrote in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. I, I think anger, there's a, even Jesus got angry at times. It's what we do with that that matters. And God said to Cain, I know you're angry, I know you're not happy, but be careful, make some good choices here. But Cain was jealous of Abel's favor. He didn't handle constructive criticism very well. God said if you do the right thing, it'll be okay, but he didn't do that. And he let that anger fester into an evil plan, into premeditated murder. And I want to tell you today that that is the pattern of uncontrolled emotions. That's the pattern of uncontrolled emotions. Whatever they are, anger, if we don't deal with it, if we don't learn how to deal with it, it's going to end up ugly. Fear, again, uncontrolled emotions. Where you, again, fear is a natural response to something we're terrified by, something that happens. But if we don't learn how to deal with that in an appropriate way, then we're going to have problems. It's not going to end well. Here's another emotion, lust. Sexual drive, if we don't learn how to deal with that, there's a whole list of things I could cover. If we don't learn how to deal with these emotions and control them, if left, left unchecked in our lives, then they're going to lead to destruction. And we can't afford to let our emotions control us. And so let me briefly, let me get very practical here, and I'm going to run through these. I'll just punch them pretty quick. But let me briefly look at how to handle emotional meltdowns. If you happen to be an adult who hasn't learned that as a child, your mom and dad didn't help you learn that, it's not too late for you. It wasn't too late for Cain. But what are some things we can do? How do we handle these things? Here's the first one. Bring your feelings to God first. Bring them to him. I, I am convinced of this. God can handle our emotions. He's the one that can handle them best. As a loving father, he wants us to come to him. When we're upset, when we're hurting, when we're afraid, and even when we're angry, God can handle it. He doesn't have emotional hang-ups. He can handle your stuff, and he wants us to come to him. I love the Psalms. I love the fact that there are many examples of this in the book of Psalms from David. 
One of my favorites is found in Psalm 55, and the whole psalm is worthy of reading, but let me just read a couple of verses. Psalm 55, verse 16 and 17. David says, as for me, I call to the Lord, and the Lord saves me. Verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. David says, on a fairly regular basis, when things aren't going very well, I cry out to God in my distress. I bring him my pain, my anger. He was angry at times. You hear it in the Psalms. I come to the Lord. I bring it to him. And one of the best ways that we can learn to deal with our emotions and to get a handle on them before they devour us is to cry out to God in our distress, to bring it to him first before we unload. And this is the hard part. Before we unload on our spouse, on our kids, on our employee, on our neighbor, on anybody else, I, 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 this is better than counting to 10. Way better. But it's kind of along the same lines. It's this pause. I'm going to go see Jesus right now. I'll be right back. <laughs> and we take that feeling, that fear, that anger, that bitterness, that struggle, we take it to him. We cry out to the Lord in our distress. Bring those feelings to God first. Here's the second thing. Ask God for help and for his perspective. Here's a prayer God will answer every time. God, help me. Now, it may not be the way you want it. We have, in our thinking, help me means make my life easy. Anybody besides me think that when I pray, God help me? God fix all my problems. That may not necessarily be what happens. But God will always come. He will always answer that prayer, God help me. Teach me, help me in the midst of this, show me. And not only do we pray for help, but we pray for God's perspective. God, help me to see this different. We, as humans, get so narrow in our focus. We get so fixated on that thing, that experience, that word, that act, that whatever that's right there in front of us. It's human nature. Every one of us has a tendency to do that. But when we say, God, help me, and God, give me your eyes, give me your perspective, help me step back and see this differently, it's amazing what can happen. See, we don't just come and gripe to God. I'm not by any means suggesting we just come and, and, and really moan and groan and gripe to him. We ask for help, and we ask God, I, I don't get this. This really ticks me off. This really hurts. I'm really afraid. But God, I need your help, and would you show me something I need to see here? Show me what's going on. God wanted to help Cain, but Cain was stubborn and self-focused. God warned him. God challenged him. God it begged him, be careful. But Cain chose poorly, and he didn't come to God, which leads me to the third thing we need to do when we are in trouble, an emotional meltdown. Number three, in humility, confess your sin and then walk in God's forgiveness. You realize how differently this story would have played out if that's what Cain would have done? And God begged him. He said, Cain, be careful. Please don't go there, buddy. I, buddy was paraphrased. I added that. But, <laughs> but please don't do that. Please be careful. Be careful, Cain. God pleaded with him. Cain brought his offering, and again, it's my conviction that the issue here, the issue was he brought it with the wrong heart. But he also made a huge mistake of not owning his sin and repenting. Okay, you blew it. You and I blow it sometimes. We fail. We make mistakes. What are you going to do then? Cain had the opportunity to own in humility his sin and to confess it and to repent. And God would have said, okay, buddy, let's move on. But he didn't. In fact, Cain showed no remorse, no desire to change, and no humility or tenderness toward God whatsoever, even though God appealed to him. Verse 7, if you do what is right, 
will you not be accepted? Cain, it's not too late. But Cain was guilty of stubborn pride. And he wouldn't humble himself. If Cain had wanted to really please God, you know, this is why I know this is a heart issue. If he really wanted to please God, if he really had a heart after God, when God said, not going to work for me, there's something going on here, that's not, that's not okay, then the heart that wants to please God is the heart that says, oh God, I'm sorry. God, please, oh, you're right. I'm so, I missed, I blew that. Please forgive me. Please, God, show me what's the right thing to do. But Cain didn't do that. Cain stood in defiant, stubborn, arrogant pride, and it cost him everything. James 4, James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way. He said, God stands against the proud but favors the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm here to tell you I don't want God standing against me. I don't want God opposing me. God stands against, opposes the proud but favors the humble. Therefore, James says, submit to God. Yield. Don't be stubborn. Don't be proud. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you. And I love this next verse. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Draw near to him. Wash your hands, you sinners. Here's the repentant part. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then I love verse 9. Cry out in sorrow, mourn, and weep. There's the bringing your emotions, your feelings to God. Verse 10 wraps it all up. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. James says, when you blow it, don't be stubborn and proud. In fact, humbly come to God. Confess your sin. Purify your heart before him because God's going to put his favor on the humble. And he's going to discipline those who are proud. Go to God. Get his help. And then confess your sin. And as you do, that's where you'll learn to control those emotions rather than be controlled by them. That's where there'll be a change in your perspective. And you'll grow. And I promise you, I guarantee you this, I know. Because, man, in the early years of my marriage, I had uncontrolled anger in my life. Very bitter and angered guy. And I had uncontrolled, I, didn't, I put my fist through our first apartment bedroom wall. Not a good thing. It hurt my fist, it hurt the wall. And I, it, so I'm telling you, I have learned this, and I, I want to beg you to learn it as well. We can develop, we can grow in this as we bring these things to God, if we humble ourselves before him, we can learn to not be controlled by our emotions. Now, all that being said, let me wrap up with this. When we fail, and uh, we probably will, we can expect the discipline of God. Don't have time to get into it today, but Hebrews chapter 12 says, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And we tend to think discipline is this negative, really bad, mean thing that God's ticked off and he's smacking us. That's not it at all. The discipline from the Lord is, I love you too much to let you get away with that. I love you too much to let that continue. I'm going to mold and shape and carve you. I'm going to give you help to become the man or woman of God that I know you can be. When we fail, we can expect his discipline, but I don't want to finish with that today. I want to remind you something that's in this story in Genesis 4 that I love. I just so powerful that we can not only expect the discipline of God, but we can also expect his mercy and his grace as well. Cain was worried that he was going to end up being killed because of what he had done, that vengeance would have been brought against him. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer, suffer vengeance seven times over. If they kill you, they're going to have to deal with me. And then, and listen to this phrase, and it's a powerful statement, but we don't completely understand it, but it's, it's amazing. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. The Lord put a mark. Now, 
there's a lot of debate whether it's a real mark, was it a tattoo, was it a physical mark, was it a spiritual mark, what was it? I don't know. But whatever it was, it was apparent and obvious to everybody. But what I want you to see, listen to me, this is so cool, it was not a mark of punishment. We think about, I'm going to mark that boy. You know, I'm going to leave my... No, that's not at all. It was not a mark of punishment. It was, in fact, a mark of grace. Do you understand that? God put this mark on him as a mark of compassion. In fact, as a protective, a redemptive mark to keep him from being taken out and killed by anybody else. And I find that incredibly revealing and encouraging that God always has been and always will be a God of mercy and grace. And so that when we fail, I promise you, we can expect that God will discipline us. He's not going to let it slide. Because he loves us, but we're also going to be able to rest and walk in the, the security and the comfort of knowing that we always have his mercy and his grace. But I had somebody pray for you. Father, I know uh, we just really touched the surface on what was happening with Cain and Abel and all of what took place so many thousands of years ago. But I know, Lord, you recorded that story in the Word for us. You made sure that got there so that we would be cautioned, warned against uh, hearts that are cold or hard, hearts that are not completely sold out to you, that we would be challenged to have a heart like you, you saw in David, a heart that follows hard after you, a heart after God. And, Lord, I know that you have disciplined me. I know that many in this room even if we've not been aware of it, we've experienced that as well. But I'm also so grateful, Lord, that we've known and experienced your grace and your kindness and your compassion in our lives. And here's my prayer. God, I pray that you would help us to become mature, fully devoted followers of Jesus, that we would continue to grow. And Lord, I pray for me, and I pray on behalf of the people that call themselves East Point, that you would have your way with us, God, and take us the next step and take us further down the road, the road of maturity. Have your way with us, Lord. Help us to submit to you, to yield to you. Help us to have a heart that, that loves you. And then, God, help us to walk out of this place today marked by your grace so that a watching world would see the goodness and the compassion, the mercy and grace of God. Keep your head bowed just for a moment. And if you're here today, you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. Maybe uh, you're ready to begin and to start that journey as a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his. And you know in your heart, I, again, we're talking about our hearts, you just know that today's the day, that today's the moment, this is the moment for you to say yes to God. I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And what's most important is what's going on in your heart, but if you want to begin your life as a Jesus follower today, would you just make this prayer yours? Father, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I give you my all, I give you who I am, my past, my present, even my future. And I admit right now, I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I've sinned and I need a Savior. And so I humbly admit my need for you right now. And I humbly accept your gift of grace and mercy in my life. Now, if that's you in your own way, just say, yeah, God, that's me. Thank you for accepting me. And the second you do, the Bible says you become a child of God. It's the beginning of a journey, a long journey, eternal journey with him. But the minute you make that choice, you become his child. Lord, for those making that decision right now or watching online, I pray, God, that you would show them what you're doing and help them understand the depth of what you've already done and what you're going to do in and through them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
We're going to finish giving today. I, I want to, by the way, I want to thank you. Uh, this summer has been one of our better summers. We've almost made budget every month so far. And uh, you guys have stepped up. I, I appreciate that. Summer we use experience about a 30, 40% drop in our attendance and about a 25% drop in giving. And that's not happened so far. So thank you for that. Well, we're going to give. And here's the deal. Where's your heart? If you can't give with your heart, then keep it in your wallet. I don't want it. Neither does God. But if you can, then let's give today with your heart in love for him. And now would be time to drop that communication card in if you're a guest today. Let us know. And then let's worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Well, that's a couple things before you go. Number one, if today you begin your life's Christ follower, tell somebody. Let them know that we want to walk with you in this. And there's by the table, uh, on the tables by the doors, you go out, there's a packet. Uh, it's got a New Believers Bible in it and a card. We'd love to connect with you and to help you in this journey. So please do that. Prayer Tim will be down front. Tom will be here if you want to get Spokane Indians tickets. But and one, a couple of things just I want to encourage you as you leave with. Uh, Nancy, part of our church for a couple of years, has been praying for a kidney for a long time. She got one yesterday. And uh, she, yeah, it's very cool. It's a big deal. So uh, pray for her. She's in the hospital. And uh, uh, God's doing some great things there, so just continue to lift her up. But if you need prayer, we encourage you to come down and be with the prayer team. If you like communion, it's on both sides of the room. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. Have a great day out there in the storming. Bye-bye.